okay, you went through all this like worst case scenario kind of things, right? And and you came out of it being like, yes, more please. And I think like, that's why I don't regret it. It's like, no, I learned so much about how to have boundaries, how to communicate what's not okay. Um, you know, just learned so much about what I will and won't tolerate. But one of the things I learned is like, yeah, I this feels like a much more natural, honest way of being in a relationship for me. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Well, welcome to episode 220. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Rachel. She has been exploring non-monogamy since her late 20s, about five or six years, and we have a wonderful conversation about a lot of different topics. Yeah, we talk about how she got into it. sort of started in like a hot wifing dynamic, but then it grew from there. And yeah, we, we I mean, it's, it's a great conversation and super vulnerable and we're really excited about it. Um, I think one of the things that we go really deep on in this is about jealousy and insecurity and how she's navigated through that. And now sort of on the other end with a partner who has some jealousy issues and now she's sort of seeing that from the other side of the coin. And so, yeah, it's a beautiful conversation and we're really grateful uh, to her for reaching out. And um, maybe we also wanted to plug the fact that she's got a book that, that just launched yesterday. Right. And we're super excited about that because uh, as you will see as she talks to us how vulnerable she is, uh, that's sort of what the book is as well. Yes. Her book is called Open, an Uncensored Memoir of Love, Liberation, and Non-Monogamy. Yeah. And so definitely check that out. There are links in the show notes and all of the ways that you can reach out to Rachel uh, to let her know Uh, If you have questions or feedback or anything, uh, again, the links will be in the show notes for her book and how to reach her. And also, a quick note, uh, she talks about Kathy. She references Kathy a few times. So Kathy is a reference to uh, Kathy Labriola, who came on our show many moons ago. Episode 90. 90. The the good old days. Right. (laughs) And so, yeah, Kathy came on and shares her story. Kathy is a a therapist and counselor and does amazing work in her own right and sort of put us in touch uh, with Rachel. And so uh, that's where that reference is coming from. So thank you to Kathy for putting us in touch with Rachel. Thank you to Rachel for coming on the show and being vulnerable and writing the book. And to both of you for doing all the work you do. Yes. Before we jump into her interview, we do have a couple of announcements. First up, a huge thank you to our Patreon community. We're, we've gotten a few new ones the last few days. We're excited to have all of you join. And we love the community so much. So thank you. If you are out there looking for community, we'd love to have you join. Uh, links are on our website normalizingnonmonogamy.com. We have an ongoing Miwi chat with lots of fun different channels to post in. We also have a monthly Q&A and an ongoing men's and women's group. 
yeah, I just want to say again, thank you to everybody who's a part of it. And if you're looking, check it out. It's a couple bucks a month and you can leave whenever you want. <laughs> we also have some other amazing virtual events coming up that are not part of the Patreon. And we have one of them tonight. Yes, we have a virtual meet and greet tonight. That is January 26th. If you do happen to miss tonight, don't worry. We also have events, the virtual meet and greets coming up February 12th and February 24th. And you're allowed to come to all of them. Oh, yeah. If you collect them all, you get a uh, you get a free, <laughs> customized, normalizing non-monogamy logo condom. Yeah, sure. Sure. We actually have those, by we, the way. We just got those in the mail the other day. <laughs> so we're pretty excited about that. So yeah, uh, we will find a way to get you some free condoms at some point. Yes. Maybe Maybe come to one of our in-person events, like on February 7th in New Orleans. Yes. Yeah, so we have the virtual events, open anyone, also in-person events. Our next meet and greet is February 7th in New Orleans. We're super excited. Yeah, super excited. It's going to be great. We have a lot of people signed up. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's an indoor-outdoor space. We're checking vaccine cards, and we're definitely keeping an eye on Omicron. So, yes, we're excited for that. We uh, we did end up canceling the pool party the following week. So We postponed that, that. Postponed. That will be coming up sometime this fall. Hopefully, things will be better suited for pool parties and the like. Uh, we also have some events coming up in... March. Yes, in California. So the first one is a pole dance class going to be on March 26th. That's in San Francisco. And that's with Amy, who is on episode 188. Go back and listen to her episode and also sign up for the pole dance uh, class. It is limited in the number of people. So please go sign up now. You want to secure your spot for that. Yeah, there's about 12 spots left. Yes. We also have a meet and greet in San Diego. Newly scheduled for March 30th. Yeah, that's going to be in a bar, uh, brewery bar type place. And it's a big outdoor space, a big outdoor patio. We have the whole thing to ourselves. We have a private bartender. It's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. So we hope to see you there. And uh, information to sign up for all of these events is on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. If you click on the community events tab, you'll see links for in-person events and for virtual events and for Patreon. So you can find everything you could ever want in terms of building a community for yourself there. And we hope to see you at something or all the things. And we hope to be able to give you free normalizing non-monogamy condoms. Woohoo! Also, a quick reminder, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the contact us button, send us a voicemail, send us an email. If you want to come on the show, if you have any feedback for us, we'd love to hear from you. So go do that. And again, on that same website, there is the podcast tab. That's where you'll find show notes for all of our guests, including Rachel. And the, the show notes will include usually a photo and links to anything that we talk about during this episode. Like we'll Rachel's all, book. Like Rachel's book, Rachel's <laughs> photo, and all of the links to the other books and other resources that are mentioned throughout today and in any previous episodes. So definitely check those out. And with that, we'll stop talking at you and start talking with Rachel. Let's go. Let's go. Well, welcome, Rachel, to the show. We're so excited to talk to you today and learn more about your journey. Since most of our listeners, I would say all of them probably don't know much about you, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Um, my name is Rachel Krantz. I'm a journalist and I live in California. Um, I used to be an editor at a website called Bustle, and then I ended up um, getting this book deal and just focusing on writing the book full time. So I guess I'm now an author. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, that's me. My pronouns are she, her. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's super exciting that you got the book deal and we're excited to talk more about the book and 
have you tell us a little more about it. But maybe before we do, we'd love to hear a little bit more about your story and uh, maybe how you got into non-monogamy, what non-monogamy looks like for you, and maybe talk just a little bit about the journey with you for a bit. So can you take us back in time to like, when did you first sort of start exploring this? Sure. Yeah. So the the book open is actually about this whole journey. So it starts in 2015 when I was 27 um, and ends in 2019. So it kind of shows the trajectory of my first years of exploring many different forms of non-monogamy through the lens of uh, the relationship, the central relationship I was in with who I call Adam in the book. And he's how I was introduced to non-monogamy. I'd certainly heard of it before. I'd read, you know, Sex at Dawn. I was living in Brooklyn from the Bay Area. Like I knew what non-monogamy was. I knew people who had practiced polyamory mostly just for a little while and then it didn't work. Um, And I was definitely, you know, after I read Sex at Dawn, I felt very compelled by its uh, central argument that, you know, the evolutionary quote unquote reason that uh, we're supposed to be monogamous is really kind of potentially just a flawed theory that evolutionary biologists, you know, straight white men came up with in the 1800s and that they were projecting their norms of monogamy and patriarchy onto their theories and that there's basically a lot of evidence that we evolved as a socially promiscuous animal and all the um, primates we're related to, you know, are not monogamous um, and very few animals even are. So I felt, you know, very persuaded by that book. And I think I had even kind of floated to a boyfriend of like, oh, maybe we should have a threesome sometime, but like didn't really know how to start. And the idea made me nervous. So um, when I met Adam on our second date before we even kissed, he said, you know, there's something you should know about me. And I was like, Oh God, here we go. (laughs) And he he said, um, you know, I am looking for a partner, someone to share my life with. But if you were to be that partner for me, I would never restrict you. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, you could still fall in love with other people. You could still date other people. As long as I was, privileged and felt like you were being honest and safe, like you'd be free to do whatever you wanted. And in that moment, my stomach kind of dropped and I was like, okay, he didn't say that on his OkCupid profile. And <laughs> like, oh shit, of course, this guy who seems like perfect is going to be like wanting to date all these other women. And like, I had felt so um, kind of courted by him in a very intense way that I felt myself kind of disappointed. At the same time, I felt like, wait a second, I've been wanting to try this. He has experience with it. He's saying that, you know, I would have all this freedom. I've been doing serial monogamy since I was 18. It's not working. So maybe this is my chance to, you know, be guided into something um, different by someone with experience. And so that is what sort of began the journey And because I was very jealous in the beginning um, or nervous at the idea, he offered that basically it would be open on my side, but he would be monogamous until I basically gave him permission otherwise. Um, And the understanding was like that was not going to be like an indefinite arrangement, but it was sort of a way for me to 
um, wade into the waters of non-monogamy in a way that felt safer. So that's how we were the first year. Yeah. Well, and I think, and that was one of the questions I had was when he kind of said, like, I don't want to restrict you. It sounds like he also rolled out that, like, he also doesn't want to be restricted as well. Like, it, was, it wasn't it was just like, this is all for you, Rachel. There was some, like, he, he explained his background in it as well. A little bit. You know, he, he definitely kind of uh, made it sound a little less important to him than it ended up being. And it's hard to say if that was just wanting to sell it or it was more like the trajectory that he went on where he probably realized over those years that he really was polyamorous. You know, in the beginning, he said, oh, it's not really like I don't like labels. It's not really an identity. I I would want some of the same freedom sometimes. But what's most important to me is like finding this central partner. So I'm I'm willing to be flexible for the right person. Um, and he was like, it's more of a philosophy for me of, I don't believe in restricting other people. But as, as we went on and the relationship opened up on both ends, it became very clear that no, he, he fully intended to, um, yeah, be polyamorous and, and date plenty on his own. Sure. And and that's not to say, right. That he was necessarily being dishonest about it. I can definitely see that, like, you kind of want to downplay it, especially it's the first time you're having that conversation. And like, who, he doesn't know where this is going to go, right? He doesn't, he doesn't know you might in, end up in a long-term relationship. So I could see downplaying a little bit so you don't freak somebody out. So yeah, definitely. I can, I can definitely understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did that first, I guess, those first few months go? Yeah, well, they were amazing. And, um, you know, the first few months we weren't doing anything with anyone else. We were just busy falling in love. And then he, about six months in, brought up a sex party in New York that he had been to. Um, And again, I was kind of like, I thought you weren't going to do anything. And then I felt myself get reflexively like scared and jealous, but at the same time was like, I'm kind of really glad he's pushing me to do this because of course I've always wanted to try a sex party and um, also had known but not fully explored my own um, queerness and knew that a sex party might be an easier way to kind of gain some experience with women because I knew enough to know that at a lot of these parties, women, you know, quote unquote, play with other women. And I hadn't had much luck with dating women. Um, And so I thought, okay, maybe this is like another perk of it. So that's sort of how we started. And he also, around that time, kind of confessed to me that his kink was um, hot wifing. I mean, he didn't use that term, but that's that's what it was. And he'd never really had a chance to explore it with someone. Um, And our dynamic was very much... um, you know, an unspoken, a lot of the book is about how it was an unspoken dom-sub relationship where, you know, I called him daddy in my head and in bed, and he was very much the driver of everything. And I wanted to please him, but we didn't have a lot of explicit um, conversations around how to have that dynamic in a healthy way. So, but I mean, in that case, I think I obviously, I really wanted to give that to him. It sounded great. I was like, Oh, that sounds really fun. You know, like no, um, you know, no potential of jealousy there for me. 
And so that's how we started in the beginning was having a few MFMs at parties. And then I sort of said, I feel like I'd have more fun with this. Like this was fun, but I feel like I'd enjoy it more if I got to like go on dates and, and like kind of talk with these guys before um, and have some emotional energy there too. And, and then we can do it together. So those were our first experiences was MFMs. Yeah. And you said something early on in that, what you just kind of, in your response there that I was curious about, which is you said, well, of course, I've always wanted to go to a sex party. <laughs> and I think, I think that, I mean, that kind of surprised me, right? Because I think we talk to a lot of people who their upbringing, right? Isn't like, they wouldn't say like, oh, I've always wanted to do that. They'd be like, well, it came up and I thought maybe it'd be interesting, but I was really scared of it and I didn't know. And there was like a lot of conflict around it. But like, it sounds like you kind of were like, yeah, I've always wanted to try that. And I've been interested in women and I wanted to try some MFMs and like some different dynamics. Like what, I guess maybe like, what was your upbringing like, or where do you think that sort of adventurous side, uh, like on your, like your came sexual from? self, like came from? Yeah. Cause yeah. I know a lot, a lot of women, right. Like that society says like, no, you're supposed to be a good little girl and, be a good wife and all of these things. And that sort of flies mm. in the face of that. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I was very, Oh, but by the way, in researching the book, I was interested to find that women, um, I think it was age 23 to 27 or 29 were more likely than men to have gone to a sex party engaged in a threesome. So a lot of our sort of but they're also probably reporting it less or talking about it less, right? Because of the stigma sure. that exists. But yep. um, yeah, we're definitely out there doing it and probably because it's a little easier for us to find those things too or to enter into those spaces alone where a lot of the parties, men can't go in alone. But um, in terms of for me, I am very lucky that I was you know, raised by some very liberal, open-minded not exactly hippies, but like, you know, New Yorkers who moved to the Bay Area in the 70s. So, you know, that gives you an idea. Um, and my mom especially is a very uh, kind of unconventional uh, woman in that she, yeah, she had um, several husbands and I later found out um, had been cheating on one of her husbands and then it was kind of a little bit open for a while when she confessed it and he was okay with it. So yeah, in later on, once I got started and started talking with her about it, I was like, Oh, I'm kind of repeating a lot of your past here, just like in a different way with a different language around it. But she's, yeah, just like always been very open about sex, always raised me to feel like, I should be the author of my own life. So I think that I, yeah, I credit a lot of that to her. Um, and then I think I've just always really been, um, the reason I'm a journalist is like, I love having adventures. I love having excuses to like be in new situations and talk to new people. And I also love falling in love and romance and, and sex and affection. And so that's always been what's interested me most. It's always been like my favorite activity has been, you know, new romances. So I think it was like, wow, this is the first time I can really imagine committing to someone long-term because I wouldn't have to give that up. 
you know, I could have both maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that because I think, yeah, it's just so easy to go to that stereotype, right? And of like, oh, yeah, why? Because you said that and I was like, interesting that you were just like, of course, I've always wanted to. And it just kind of <laughs> caught me. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I said also in the like, um, you know, ever since I was masturbating as a teenager to naked women and eyes wide shut, right? Like that used to play on HBO all the time, I feel like. And I would watch it like after my parents went to bed. And and I think because of that, I had this idea of like a sex party is this like cult thing with like candelabras and masks. And obviously it was very different. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I think that worked its way into my head and also like real sex on HBO. I think mm -hmm. watching that, you know, I never watched porn, um, as a teenager or even in my twenties, but stuff like real sex on HBO was kind of my introduction to like, Oh, there's all kinds of stuff people are doing. And it all seems to be making me excited. Like <laughs> I, I found that I had an inkling about myself that I might be very omnivorous and when it came to my desires um, and here was an opportunity to explore that. And it turned out to be true that turned out I had a lot of different kinks and a lot of different attractions that it was more kind of um, like a lot of the research shows it is for a lot of women, more about the novelty, more about the feeling of being desired um, than it was necessarily the person's uh, exact kink or genitals or anything else. It was more the psychological experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I want to get, jump back to your story, like the timeline a little bit, but before yeah. we do that follow-up question to what you were just talking about, how has, so you went to that sex party, how has it gone exploring your sexuality or, along the way as well? Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad I did that. I feel like now in a post COVID era, I'm, it's hard to imagine. Honestly, I'll feel comfortable doing that again. I mean, we also got scabies a few years in and, you know, you can get that from like hotel beds or something like that, but it's pretty much an STD that I was pretty sure I had gotten through those parties and that really put me off of it in a lot of ways of like, okay, I want to like see someone's skin and, and genitals like before I do anything with them, like no more like dark hookups. So I think I'm more um, germaphobic or like just cautious now than I was then. Um, but I mean, I think that in terms of the exploration, wow, it's just gone in a lot of different directions, though I'm definitely not <laughs> done yet. Um, I just, I realized through those years, yes, I'm definitely attracted to women. I'm also attracted to non-binary and trans people. I'm attracted to um, different kink dynamics that I think I realized the most one I like is being a sub, specifically in like a daddy girl dynamic, but I also discovered I could be a switch and that I enjoy, uh, dominating other people and that it seemed like with women, I was more of a top. So I just kind of like found out, oh, I'm very fluid about a lot of different things. Um, kind of a chameleon and, uh, and that there was all these different sides of myself that were all true. Um, and some felt more natural or maybe felt more natural because they're more what I've been socialized right? To be like, okay, like the daddy girl dynamic feels the most natural to me, but it's also when it's a relationship with a man, 
it's also kind of like, okay, he's the dominant, I'm the submissive, like I'm trying to please him and, and do the things he like. And that's also kind of a more extreme version of basically what it's always been socialized as. So yeah, I, I guess I just realized these things are very fluid, but they're also very hard to untangle from, um, yeah, what I've been taught I should mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is super interesting. And, and thank you for sharing. And I had a, another follow-up, sorry about, <laughs> yeah. you said like you, you grew up watching eyes wide shot on HBO and then you went to a, you went for the first time to your, to a sex party for yourself. Like, how did the two compare? Like, what, what was <laughs> yeah. that like for you? Yeah. Um, well, I was like, okay, this is not cult, cultish. So that was kind of a relief. Um, I think that I was surprised that there were so many good looking people. Like, I, I honestly kind of thought that it might be, I don't know, like I'd heard a lot of um, stuff of like when you go to a swingers resort or nudist resort, which I would later, um, oh, it's always the people you don't want to see naked. So I think I like had this idea of like, oh, maybe it won't be, but it was Brooklyn. And so there's so many ridiculously cool and cute people in Brooklyn. And so that's what it looked like. And I was like, oh, okay. There's like a lot of people here that I would maybe be down to see. And I think the other thing that surprised me was that watching people was very, very interesting, but not particularly arousing, like that it it was more just like, you feel like an anthropologist, uh, like really just like, wow, we're apes, like for sure. And you kind of look and you're like, oh shit, is that what I look like? Like, and I think that I had a sort of judgment, a little bit of like, why are the women like moaning? Like, it's so amazing when I can tell from the way they're being fucked, like it can't be that amazing. And then it sort of made me realize, Oh, like I'm doing that too. Like there's this very performative thing that, um, yeah, becomes very obvious when you see someone else doing it in real life for the first time. And yeah, I mean, I guess I, I then was kind of surprised by how there there ended up being like two different guys in one, in one night who I was interested in and had experiences with and just how kind of like quick everything could move and how that felt kind of like very exhilarating. Um, but also maybe not something I would want once the novelty wore off. Cause I've just never been that into like hookups or casual sex, but mm-hmm. yeah, when it was new, it was definitely like, Oh, this is very different because I didn't even really have experiences with like hooking up with people. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's such a, yeah. And I think, you know, largely for us, that was never something either of us had ever experienced. Uh, And so, yeah, it's a definitely a different mindset. And I was just curious, like, was that your first time really watching or seeing other people have sex? Was that that party? Yeah. I mean, I'd maybe tried to watch like a little bit of porn. So I'd, I'd seen a little bit of that. And like I said, like in movies or, sure. or real sex, but yeah, no, I'd never. Right. Right. But like in, in real life, in like real in, life, in real life. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Which I is mean, a really interesting thing too. I, to? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I understand. I just, it's an interesting thing, right? Because you think about it and you're like, oh, well, if I was watching something, like, of course you're going to be I don't know, turned on or aroused, but like I, for, I don't know, for me, like when you're in that space, it is, you just sort of like, 
it's just different. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like, it's not like I sit there and I'm just like, oh, this is so arousing to me. It's just mm-hmm. like, like you, oh, like an anthropologist kind of, like you said, like, I'm just like interested in it. So yeah, mm-hmm, totally. Not yeah, in and a I mean, I, th- I think that also like the, um, you know, nudist resorts, swinger resorts, like hedonism and desire, which are both, you know, places in the book that I really visit and delve into. Um, those are similarly kind of like the parties, lifestyle spaces where it just feels really refreshing for me. Like one of the main things is just like how natural it feels to be naked around other people, to like be around other people having sex. And I think that goes back to, you know, kind of the arguments of sex at dawn of like before the agricultural revolution, this is probably what people were doing more. They were like, someone was having sex in the corner and women were topless and someone was nursing someone over there and like, whatever, you know? And like, that was so much of what I felt liberating was just being around people who are open in that way. And that there's that kind of, even though it's not that arousing, there's something that feels very um, natural, even if it's not normal, right? That's like one distinction I think is really important. Like natural and normal are not the same thing. A lot of things we call normal are actually really not natural at all to us. And then a lot of things that might feel very natural are considered by most of society very abnormal. Yeah, Mm -hmm. completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so where or jump I'm gonna jump back into your the story. So you went to the sex party and you said that first year you had quite a bit of jealousy. Do you mind talking about that a little bit and sure. how that you navigated how you navigated that? Not not great. <laughs> I mean I tried, but um I so basically I didn't have any jealousy till obviously we opened the the relationship on his end, and that was about a year in. Um and he started like dating pretty quickly. Um, and, and I just felt very, uh, jealous and secure felt like the loss of kind of being the one and only. Um, and it was made harder by the fact that although he tried to be very patient, he also couldn't really admit to understanding my jealousy or respecting it in any way as a feeling. Um, even though like he did exhibit jealousy in some of the MFMs, like he kind of viewed himself as above it or able to control it. And so there started being a kind of bad cycle where he would be like, you know, just control yourself and like, don't like, if you just looked at this rationally, like you wouldn't feel jealous and like, it's all in your head. And then I would feel like invalidated and and stupid. And like, I knew he was right, but also like further alone and ashamed. And so then I would be more jealous and insecure. And so we really started getting into a less um, productive pattern of kind of triggering each other's stuff, you know? Um, And the more someone is jealous, the more the other person doesn't want to feel restricted a lot of the time. And, and I think jealousy is so infuriating because you watch it invite exactly what you're trying to prevent. Like, you know, that your behavior is very unattractive. Like, you know, it's not working to be that way. Um, and if you could just like chill the fuck out, like that, 
you would probably have a much better chance of the other person not getting tired of you or not feeling restricted by you. But your emotional response or your even fight or flight response can get very activated for most people. And so what you know logically is not even on a physiological level cooperating. And so I think that I found that a very humbling experience to go through because I didn't think before that, that I was even a jealous person. I was like, I've never even felt jealousy or like, I've always enjoyed like watching boyfriends flirt at parties with other girls, like, but something seemed to change entirely when I knew that he could act on it. I started feeling insecure. So that became, began a long road of basically learning how to navigate that, beginning to work with Kathy Labriola, beginning to write stories on it in an attempt to like, just understand. I would like write articles about like where jealousy comes from and do research. And I just try to like employ, you know, journalism to like help me get a handle on it and figure it out. And um, to a certain extent it worked. You see me throughout that year's tolerating things that before were not tolerable and things that felt like a really big deal if the first time they happened, like him even like having a first kiss with someone else, you know, by a few years in, it was like, that's nothing at all. And like, now I'm apparently able to tolerate, you know, someone else having sex in our bed when I'm not there, like sleepovers or all these things that felt like unimaginable. But for me in that dynamic, I think it never felt um, really like I ever got to a place where there was no jealousy or well, where I felt safe and comfortable. And a lot of what the story is about is how a lot of the times that's a symptom or jealousy is a symptom of some underlying issues in a dynamic. And that's not to say a healthy dynamic never has jealousy. No, but, um, I think that if you feel in a relationship, like you don't have the ability to say no to what someone else wants, um, that that's not really an option, um, without completely being punished or losing the relationship altogether, it's very hard to feel safe or not jealous. Um, because like in my current relationship, it's very different and, uh, and I feel very safe. Um, and maybe because he's a little less non-monogamously inclined, the idea of him with other people is like, very exciting to me. And I find like, I'm like rooting for him to go on dates or like want, you know, so it's so amazing to me how, yeah, part of that is that I have more experience, but it's also just so dependent on how power is shared in the relationship, how much you feel like you have that, um, foundation and, and just kind of the dynamic of how you're triggering or not triggering each other's, uh, childhood wounds really. Yeah. And one thing you said in there a few times was to- you tolerated your, your tolerance increased and you kind of touched on it here that you, you now have a, what maybe sounds like a little more compersion, but like, ha- have you gotten to that place where like, it's not just tolerating, but like, or did you get to that place of like, I'm not just tolerating, but like, I'm good with it. Like it feels good. This feels quote unquote natural. Yeah. I mean, I think, I should say that he has not dated anyone seriously yet. So my only 
experiences with compersion have been like, oh, hearing you went on a date and being excited or imagining it, or um, we did go to a party together pre-pandemic and like, I so enjoy, he's a massage therapist. And so like he was giving a massage to like other women. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. Like I was feeling so turned on by that, but also like he didn't take it any further, but I felt myself like actually really wanting him to. So I suspect that, um, that'll be the direction it keeps going, assuming hopefully down the line, he will have some of those experiences. Um, but it's also, you know, I want to be humble about it. Cause like, who knows, I'm sure I'll still have, if it's like a serious relationship with someone else, like I'm sure there'll be moments of jealousy, but I, I do think that it'll be just a lot different than it was then because it's just such a different dynamic. Um, right. and I mean, I think that also something Kathy has told me that I think is important for people to hear is that compersion has become sometimes like an unfair uh, expectation that people mm -hmm. place on themselves. And it's like, oh, if I'm not feeling compersion, like I'm bad at being polyamorous or I'm bad at, you know, swinging or whatever it is. And it's like, for a lot of people, the best they're going to get to is, and that she says is totally good enough, is like, basically that it feels tolerable, that you don't feel overwhelming anxiety, that you might have moments of discomfort, but you feel like it's basically worth it to you for um, whatever you're getting out of the dynamic or the freedoms you have. Um, so really what she says should be the barometer is more like you shouldn't be in a state of like elevated stress indefinitely, right. but that it's unrealistic to expect it's going to bring you uh, or your partner pleasure, um, or compersion that a, for a lot of people that it's really more like, does this feel okay? Like it's maybe never going to feel great, but does it feel like, okay. Like, and that, yeah. that's a great place to get to when you're like, oh, wow. I'm like feeling like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, I think that's a really great point is mm -hmm. that like feeling of like, yeah, I mean, it's fine. Like I'm sort of neutral on the topic versus like, Every time your partner goes out, you have to like lay in bed with a bottle of wine and grit your teeth and, <laughs> and like try to distract yourself with any means possible. And like, that's a big, yeah, you don't have to be like, oh my God, I'm so happy or out on all these dates four nights a week. And you don't, you don't have to get to that place. So yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate you pointing that out. And I like the idea that you don't want to be in the long-term elevated stress level. Like yeah. that's, that's the thing, like reflect on the last, if you're trying, if you're, uh, you know, going down the non-monogamy route or just in general, if you reflect on the last six months and you're like, whew, I've been in a very, very high stress level. Well, maybe uh, you need to revisit that. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's yeah. so complicated too. Like, and that's a lot of what I talk about too, is like when you're adapting to something like non-monogamy or polyamory, especially like it is such an intense paradigm shift of just like trying to unlearn all the messages you've had your whole life about like what love and commitment mean all your childhood inner wounds are coming up around like abandonment or rejection or whatever. Like it is very intense and it's to be expected that it's going to feel like deeply uncomfortable. And that's why a lot of the reason I was kind of very scared of it, but also very interested in it because I was like, whoa, like I have all this insecurity that I didn't even realize was inside me. And like, if I can quote unquote defeat this, like, I feel like I'll feel so much more 
powerful and fearless in my life. But it also made it very confusing because it's like, you know, there's going to be a period of adjustment that a lot of the books say, like, there's really a period where you have to adapt, almost like exposure therapy. And, and so it makes it very complicated to know, like, okay, is this the discomfort that's necessary for my personal growth and just unlearning things that no longer serve me versus is this a sign that I'm really not okay and I'm in a situation that just isn't going to work for me and that I'm, I'm pushing it too far. And I think that that was kind of the push-pull I was feeling and that a lot of people feel when they embark on this is like, which one is it? You know, like, is this good pushing myself or am I kind of being a masochist? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And and what's interesting about that, too, is that at the beginning of this, like you started off kind of like it sounded like some hot wifing in some clubs. And then you kind of told your partner at the time that you that, uh, that you wanted to maybe go on some more dates. And you didn't explicitly say that you did. But I guess did you end up going and starting to maybe like date a little more? Yeah. So the first I wasn't quote, I guess, ready to date on my own, or I was worried about, oh, what if I get confused or something like that? Um, so I would just go on dates and then like, but it was with the understanding that it was for an MFM. So then yeah. he would come afterwards. Um, but then, yeah, I decided to open it up on his end when I sort of naturally started up a, a casual relationship with a waiter in my neighborhood. And, and so we weren't even having sex yet, but we'd like flirt a lot and like make out. And it was the first time I was doing things on my own. And it just felt kind of unfair once gotcha. I was doing things on my own. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And that, what I was going to kind of draw the the parallel to, or the, the comparison to, is that like you, you were doing the dating, you were doing the thing that you were then also jealous of or struggling with. And I think that's, that's something that really messes with people. I know it messes, mm-hmm. it has messed with us in the past, which is like, I went into this thing and I'm totally fine with it because I know what all my feelings are. But when you watch your partner go and do those things, you have to trust that they're feeling the same things that you were feeling and that the things that they're telling you are true. And not that you don't believe them, but like it is really hard when you see them out on a date having a great time or whatever they're doing um, to remember that like, oh, well, I was just doing that last week and I still want to be (laughs) in this relationship too. So yeah, it can mm-hmm. really, totally. it's a, it's a pretty good, uh, mind fuck a lot of the time. So. <laughs> yes. Well, I think also, you know, like on the one hand, you know, the ways, or at least I did that nothing made me feel or tends to make me feel as loving towards a, a primary partner or a partner at home who had been with longer as exercising that freedom and like kind of having all those moments of where you're really enjoying it with someone else, but you're kind of like being reminded of all the things that, um, you know, just work better in your other existing relationship or just the contrast makes it so that you can kind of see the, the person you've been with for a long time more clearly and appreciate them. And so you kind of know that it's like, in a lot of ways, it only grows your love. But I think you also know that maybe there's those moments when there's NRE or um, just kind of excitement and the other person is more, the new person is more of a projection where maybe there are moments that your mind is quote unquote disloyal to the primary relationship or is getting like, oh my God, what if they're even 
better. And so I think like that, we don't often talk about like how like, yeah, that's a possibility. Like you might entertain that thought, right? And and you maybe just keep it as a thought. And often it's disproven and that kind of reaffirms your commitment to the primary relationship. But there there is that slight possibility. And I think that that you might go out with someone else and realize they're even better for you. And so of course that's scary when your partner's doing it because you know that mix of things is going on and you're you're pretty sure that wouldn't happen, but of course there's a chance it might. And I think one of the things my friend says, um, Aisha in the book is like, I say that and how it makes me nervous, that feeling of like, I'm kind of inviting that things could change at any moment, right? Like it's kind of feels like you're like courting danger. Um, and what they say is like, yeah, but that's just like a human being thing. That's not a polyamorous thing. Like there's not a person in the world who couldn't one day like walk into a bookstore and meet someone and be like, whoa, my whole world just changed. And in fact, like one of the things Kathy will often remind me of is like, for many of us, like the probability of like blowing up an existing relationship to like find out about that other connection is much higher if we're monogamous a lot of the times because we're forced to make that choice or we're cheating, you know, and then it creates this whole other drama. So it's like, yeah, there's probably for most people always going to be that possibility. It's just the non-monogamy. You're kind of, you're not so much like inviting it, but you're giving the freedom of like, okay, explore it. And maybe most likely you're going to find out that's great, but they're just another flawed human being. And maybe it'll reaffirm your commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Like you you get super excited. You're like, oh my gosh, the person at the coffee shop or the bookstore, they seem amazing. And then you mm-hmm. get to know them and you're like, no, they're not that amazing. <laughs> but by that point, you've blown up your marriage or your relationship mm-hmm. to like cheat on them, right? And But this gives you that opportunity to be like, let's see below the hood a little bit and, and see it for what it is. And also recognizing that that NRE can stick around for months or a year Mm -hmm. or more and so like you may not really realize that until a a ways into it so yeah that's a super valuable point I appreciate that (laughs) how do you feel uh I guess maybe rephrase that right now in your relationship what how do you kind of feel you identify as in in your current relationship yeah um I identify as polyamorous um and I guess we're in a primary secondary model more because that's what he feels safe with. And I think that I really, it's interesting. I really relate to that because that's what I really wanted the whole time with Adam was for him to just say, you're primary, you have veto power. Um, I found that like when we tried that on in for just short periods, like when we were at desire that that made me feel a lot more relaxed and like open. And so one of our main struggles was me being like, why can't you just say I'm primary and that I have these privileges? And he would be like, you know, you should know that already. We live together. Like we basically do, but he refused to, he didn't believe in it by that point. Um, I guess morally, really, he, he sort of got exposed to relationship anarchy and felt like that was uh a more pure way to love, I guess. So now it's interesting because I, I feel like having had 
more polyamorous, polyamorous experiences since and feeling so much safer in this relationship, I actually feel like it would be maybe okay with me not to need to have veto power, say it's primary, secondary, and to just kind of be a little more relationship anarchist. But for him, it's understandable. It's his first non-monogamous relationship. He probably feels more risk than I do because he knows I, it's more important to me to be able to exercise dating other people, um, that that makes him feel safer. So that's kind of the compromise that we've made for now is like, yeah, you're primary and that's going to come with certain, certain privileges. So, um, and since we've gotten together like almost three years ago now, then, um, we, yeah, I've, I've dated two other people, um, and both were pretty involved and, um, still ongoing in some way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, went and finally like saw one of the people after the pandemic. And so we were in this sort of strange, uh, you know, de facto monogamy that a lot of people found themselves in where I was just like a lot of the swingers I knew were still dating. They were like, this is not stopping us. But for me, I was like, no, like this is not worth it to me. Like (laughs) we were in a bubble completely. I was like, that's fine. But what I found was that emotionally, I still formed a relationship with someone else, still was talking to him most days, you know, very seriously. So still emotionally, I was always polyamorous. So that was very like reaffirming to me of that. Um, and, and it was also great to kind of see that I could do monogamy again and, and kind of what's gained from that, which I think a lot of polyamorous people had of like, Oh, okay. This is interesting of like, I'm just going to like kind of choose this for now. Um, so in some ways, like it was very reaffirming for the relationship, but it was also very clear to me of like, this is not what I want long-term. It's not the best thing for the relationship because there's this other energy that I'm not able to expend. And there's this lack of contrast where, I'm not able to like step away from my partner far enough or long enough to really like see them. I think it's always like a painting. Like if you're up too close, like you can't really see it. And sometimes part of what I love about non-monogamy is like, it it helps you appreciate the existing partner partners more because you have that chance to step away and see the contrast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and it sounds like too, you kind of like, you said it was sort of that de facto monogamy, but also there was sort of an emotional non-monogamy happening totally. at the same at the same time, um, which is also really interesting. And do you mind taking a sort of? It sounds like and you haven't explicitly said it, but it sounds like maybe you and Adam aren't together anymore. Right? Yeah. Do you mind taking us sort of from like you and Adam started dating to you met this other partner sometime about three years ago? Like, sort of, what did the the timeline between there look like, and and then maybe we can sort of talk about a few of the things that like you've really seen growing yourself over the last few years, um, sort of through that time period as well. Sure. Um, well, so yeah, we um, were dating polyamorously, me and Adam, um, to varying degrees of success, and and still continued drama. Um, but really in the end, like the non-monogamy and the jealousy around it 
it was definitely an exacerbating thing that kind of triggered each other's um, stuff and made it a lot more challenging. But I think that the main issue in that dynamic was that um, there was a lot of gaslighting going on and a lot of um, like verbal uh, meanness and stuff like that. And so we got into a cycle of just um, fighting a lot and, and not being kind to one another, not having a stable foundation of like trust and communication. Um, and, and then later on, I found out that he, you know, very much towards the end of the relationship, what kind of did it is that I saw he was, um, putting that he was single on his profile while we were living together. And he kind of was like, Oh, I just wanted to see if it changed anything. And, and that sort of broke the illusion that this person was like more moral than anyone else. Yeah. And, um, and that I would like never find someone else who like loved me as much because I was like, Oh wow, they are lying, you know? And, um, I, you know, subsequently found out later he'd been lying about a lot of other stuff. We were, while we were together, um, in terms of rules we had around condoms and other things that are like very not okay. So I think that a lot of the lack of trust and safety I was feeling was maybe on some level knowing that stuff that was shady was going on, but I was being told like, no, you're being crazy and you're being jealous. And, um, and so that was a very, very painful breakup, difficult situation to get out of. And I went into a long period of just reflection and celibacy. Um, and then I met, uh, my current partner, like about six months after. So I had kind of done a lot of work on, I don't know, just being able to be by myself. Um, and from the get go, it, I was very open with him of like, you know, I'm not monogamous. And I think that that surprised even Kathy and like a lot of people reading the book are like, whoa, okay, you went through all this like worst case scenario kind of things, right? And and you came out of it being like, yes, more please. And I think like, that's why I don't regret it. It's like, no, I learned so much about how to have boundaries, how to communicate what's not okay. Um, you know, just learned so much about what I will and won't tolerate. But one of the things I learned is like, yeah, I, this feels like a much more natural, honest way of being in a relationship for me. And, and just feeling like, again, there's that fluidity of like, it'll always be a conversation. So even though I said to him, like, I'm, non-monogamous and I'm probably never going to be able to offer monogamy that I also kind of recognize, but there's going to be periods where I'm sure, you know, like there's monogamy. I didn't foresee the pandemic, but you know, if you have like a terminal illness or non-terminal illness, like there's going to be situations where it's not appropriate or where I'm flexible. So, but yeah, that to me, it kind of felt like that's always going to need to be a conversation. And, and it was sort of a revelation for me as a woman, especially to realize I could approach dating and I could approach like a new relationship forming 
like with that being very clear and kind of set like expectations and set my ground rules, because I think in the past I'd always felt like, well, this is the exchange. Like if I want intimacy, if I want a relationship, I just have to give someone monogamy. And like, that means automatically my world starts to feel narrower and it feels okay at first, but as the relationship goes on and on, I feel more and more restricted because I just feel like now I know how my life's going to end of kissing only this one person till I die. And something about that, like, it's not even the experiences themselves. It was more the feeling of like, I don't know what my future will hold that I realized is very important to me to be able to have. Um, So yeah, it was just a really new way of starting again and realizing, okay, I'm going to get to figure out how to do this in a way that feels ethical and communicated and where it's kind of my way instead of letting someone else drive like this is how it's going to be, which is kind of what it had started to feel like with Adam. Well, and what's interesting about it with Adam was you, you, you made the comment just in there that like you felt like in order to be with somebody, you had to give them monogamy because that was what was expected. But with, with Adam, it was almost the opposite. It was, yes. mm-hmm. you have to give him non-monogamy. And luckily for you, it was something you were interested in, but like you felt that you had to do that. And it sounds like when you came into this relationship, you had gone through this transition to like, I'm going to tell you what I want and what I need. And then you can tell me what you want and you need. And we'll figure out if we're compatible versus like, mm-hmm. how about you sacrifice who you are and I'll sacrifice who I am. And maybe we'll muddle mm-hmm. through for the next four or 50 years and kick totally. the bucket at some point. Right. Like, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think that I was very nervous in the beginning, had a lot of, you know, sessions with Kathy of being like, am I the Adam? Like, because here was this guy, even though he's nine years older than me, like, and, plenty of relationship experience. He was making his own decision, but I was like, he doesn't have any experience with non-monogamy. I'm the one kind of saying, look, this is how I am. Like, and it's going to be part of the deal if you want to be with me. But so am I kind of doing the same thing? And she would kind of say no, because the difference is like, you're communicating about your needs clearly, but you're not saying to him, like you are, uh, you know, weak or less evolved. If you can't do this, like you're just kind of making clear, like, this is probably what I'll need. I'm willing to compromise. I'm not going to lure you into this under false pretenses though. Like I'm, I'm going to want to date other people, even if it's not immediately right now, even if it's flexible. Um, and so that was a good distinction for me to see is like, it's not luring someone in like you have to trust that someone can make that decision even if it might not end up working for them to give it a try even if there's the chance they might get hurt because there's always that chance when you enter into a relationship but what's really important is that they feel especially once you decide to enter into it or go on that path that you can respect their emotional experience um even if it's very different than yours uh, and not you know, I think that sometimes, especially if we have more experience with polyamory, it's easy to start feeling a little superior of like, this is the more evolved way to be. And like, why are you still stuck in these old constructs of ideas of what love is? Or like, you know, why do you need to have hierarchies or whatever? But it's like, if you're going to be in relationship with people who haven't gone through that journey yet, or maybe don't have a desire to, like, you need to respect them for where they're coming from. Um, 
Otherwise, like that's on you to be in a different relationship. Like you shouldn't be trying to change them really. Yeah. 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 And I give you a lot of credit for like that grace and flexibility and patience, right? Because you have gone through it and you've gone through it in a pretty traumatic way to some degree of like the gaslighting and finding out that your partner was lying all over the place and all of these things. And you've come back to it and now you're inviting somebody else into it. And I imagine there's this part of him who's like, well, it didn't sound like it was that great for you. Like, why the, <laughs> why the hell are we doing this? Like, wouldn't this be a lot easier if it was just you and me? And like, we didn't have to mess with all this other bullshit. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it helped that when we first got together, I was seeing someone else also. So it was like kind of the very beginning it was, it was happening. And, right. and even though, again, that's, a lot of things we call non-monogamy are what other people just call dating, yep. right? Yeah. And like, and I think the difference was like, I'm telling you that mm-hmm. I'm also having this other person in my life and I'm telling him and you're both having to consent to it. And we're talking about what feels safe, you know, what are the ground rules, all of that. Um, whereas I think when I was just dating, there was more of a chance that I would feel like, oh, I have to hide that. And and what I've realized is that leads to a lot more potentially hurtful and dangerous situations because, you know, maybe people start not using a condom in situations where they should be because they don't want to have the conversation of like, why do you need to, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I think that helped. And then I think also it helped that um, he saw like, how or has seen like how amorous or or um sexually awake those experience make me like i i think that you know when i finally saw this other person recently i went away with him for a few weeks and it was the first experience i'd had physically since the pandemic and i think because me and my partner had been around each other every day since the pandemic started all day because we both were at home. I mean, it was like a really good hitting the refresh button for us. And even if there's parts of it that might've felt uncomfortable for him, like I think by and large seeing how happy it made me. And then how, when I returned like, Oh wow, that really like woke things up a little bit. Like that also I think helps it. Um, He gets it more of like, he sees that I, I feel more alive basically when I have those freedoms. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. Go for it. Well, I'm just, I'm just curious that like the first time you saw this other partner basically ever um, because of the pandemic and the first time you really in this, in your new partner really experienced non-monogamy and the first time he really experienced it. And like you said, there was some dating when you first got together, but like, that first experience was you going away for multiple weeks with a new partner. Like that's, that's a pretty intense first yeah. step. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to comment on the same thing. Totally. Yeah. He's a rock star that he was able to do that um, and be okay. I think that, yeah, it's like the, I think that the original experiences though, it was, it was dating, but it was one person who, I had serious feelings for who I had been dating um, when Adam and I worked together. So it was a lot. So I think he did have some experience with like, you know, me being with people who I had a real Mm -hmm. emotional connection with um, and a history with. Um, But yeah, I think 
it's, I, I was very impressed and just kind of very, it was very reaffirming of the relationship for me because certainly that I haven't had a chance to exercise these things in the last year and a half as we have gotten more and more committed and serious. There's been that part of both of us that's been like, okay, but how's this going to work when I'm actually like with other people? So I think it felt, um, yeah, just very reaffirming to see like he could handle something that that was that challenging. And so what did you do to be the anti-Adam for that like multiple right, week period right, to yeah. be like, I'm going to, I'm going to go away. And like, you weren't like, I'm leaving now. You just have to like tough it out because I'm going to be gone for three weeks. Like, how did you, how did you navigate in that, in that, in a way that felt as good as possible for him? Like knowing that it wasn't going to be perfect the whole time. Yeah. I mean, one thing was that we had a conversation beforehand about expectations around communication and um, safety. So just like, you know, basically condoms and what, how much would he like me to check in um, and that sort of thing. And then once I was there, I found that, um, you know, like it felt natural to us to check in more than we had expected. Um, so then I like checked in again and was like, okay, are you feeling the same about it? Or do you feel like, you know, you want me to check in every day? And he felt like, well, I'm enjoying the updates or communication, but I also feel like I don't want you to feel like you have to, which again, was so sweet. Um, he was like, I want you to have your experience and be present and I don't need to know details of any of that. Um, but I like, you know, hearing about what you're liking about where you are or, or whatever, or if you miss me or whatever. So I think it was just like continuing to set those expectations beforehand. And then afterwards when we were there, and then I think the other thing was I, I made a mistake, you know, where I like, I did fuck up and I think, but I knew like, this is not cool. This is not what our agreement is. Fuck. Like what I'm doing, I'm being the one making that mistake. And it, it gave me more empathy for like how Adam might have been in that situation too. But it was very important to me that I'm not going to do what Adam did. I'm going to, I'm not going to hide this from, from my partner. Like I'm going to tell him right away. And so I told him and I was like, I fucked up. This happened. And he was upset, but he also kind of, understood like why that might happen. Um, and then we sort of renegotiated based on that and what felt okay to both of us. And I had, I think we just both learned a lot from that trip of like potential issues that might come up. Um, and also just what triggers are and that you really need to avoid surprises where possible or renegotiating things last minute where possible. So yeah, I think there's just a lot of trial and error that goes into these things and people make mistakes, but what has to happen is like, you need to be honest about it, even when it makes you look bad. Um, because I think it's really the, the lying or, or the hiding things for the partner's benefit, quote unquote, that ends up really being very damaging because I think they feel it. I mean, not only is it the wrong thing to do, but I think that People think they're hiding things, but they're not, you know, I think consciously I might not have realized Adam was lying, but I think my body did. And a lot of other parts of me, my intuition did. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think the vulnerability around admitting that mistake. Like, yeah, exactly. And, and it and it does show, right? Like you, you and him could talk for weeks ahead of time about all of the different scenarios. But really, like the test is like what happens in the moment. And when something goes awry, how do you communicate about it? And it sounds like you and him, like you found, like you changed your communication on the fly based on what was needed. You changed negotiations based on like on the fly as well. Like that's that's a really hard thing to do. And I, I think I'm like, I'm impressed by it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like, I mean, even though there were some hiccups, like the, it was a learning experience and you both, you had conversation ahead of time during, you tried your best to navigate it all, but there were still surprises and there were still learning experiences. And the fact that you can look back and be like, okay, well we can, you know, make some tweaks to this next time, but it's, it's still come. It sounds like you both came away hopefully feeling fairly positive about the experience because it, yeah, you, you worked through things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we've covered so much ground and I know we have probably a million more questions for you, but in the interest of your time and, well, and that's what the book's for, right? Exactly. <laughs> I was going to segue, like we'd love for you to uh, talk about your book and um, tell us where people can find it as well. Thank you so much. It was really fun. Um, yeah, so you can find my book, Open, an Uncensored Memoir of Love, Liberation, and Non-Monogamy, anywhere books are sold online or in your local bookshop. Um, and yeah, it's a very, if you found this conversation interesting, um, if you found me to be very honest about some things that maybe I'm even thinking now, should I have said that? But, uh, that's what a lot of the book is like. Like I'm just very, uh, open. I'm very honest. And it's a mix of telling this story of, of that relationship with Adam and the period afterwards with a lot of, um, research and reporting. So it's kind of like I'm the case study and, you have different psychologists and sex researchers like commenting throughout um, and I'm contextualizing things. So like on the one hand, while you're like reading about me having my first MFMs, you're also going to like learn a little bit about like the history of cuckolding and like how many people do this and like, what is this fetish about psychologically? So it's definitely for people like who are interested in learning about sex um, and learning about relationships and non-monogamy and power dynamics, BDSM, um, but who also want something that reads more like a novel that has a narrative, um, really storytelling, page-turning feel to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Like to be able to weave those together. And I feel like I I would imagine people kind of got a taste of that in this conversation because you you were able to do that pretty well throughout. So I, I appreciate oh, that thanks. as somebody who's interviewing you that I don't have to ask all the really hard questions. <laughs> you just you just answer them naturally yeah. and it was perfect. So thank you That's for good. that. Yes. <laughs> um, was there anything that we didn't talk about that, that you wanted to talk about or share before we let you mm-hmm. uh, get along with your afternoon? I don't know. I think that was pretty... Great. Yeah. I'm not thinking of anything off the bat right now. So I guess maybe I have one more question. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're amenable to that. Of course. You mentioned that you kind of grew up in like a little bit of a pseudo hippie background and you kind of outlined some of your mom's background. Like, 
are your parents aware or ha- are you out to like your family and friends about this journey? Like you, you've written a book about it. And so Good like, question. yeah, how, how <laughs> out there is it? I am. I mean, they knew I was in an open relationship um, and were pretty cool about it. But yeah, this is definitely going to be intense and next level. I mean, I think that I've talked. I mean, I'm very lucky that I don't think they're going to reject me in any way for it. It's just more like my parents almost like don't have enough boundaries sometimes. So I feel like I don't really want my dad to read a bunch of it. So he's said you can just send me like a guide of like what pages to skip and I'll skip that. But of course, even that's kind of embarrassing because it's going to be like half the book. <laughs> you know, like there's, <laughs> there's so much sex. There's so much that's just like, I'm not ashamed of, but you just maybe don't want like your dad picturing. Um, right. So it'll be interesting to navigate that, but I, I really appreciate that he said, yeah, you can kind of send that guide and I'll, respect it and skip over those parts. So we'll see. (laughs) But I mean, it is kind of liberating, um, definitely liberating, definitely terrifying, but um, just like, all right, I just basically, you know, ripped open my chest and brain and pussy and like put it in a book. And like, there's, I mean, like there's nothing I held back really and it's so incredibly personal that it's terrifying, but it's also like, wow, I don't have any secrets anymore. And like, these things are all going to be on the record and that feels terrifying, but also like very liberating because it's like, then shame is such a thing that holds us back. And I just feel like, all right, I have nothing to hide and I'll just keep being able to be open in my writing and, um, be honest about like wherever my life takes me, I think, and just kind of be open to like, things are going to keep changing. I'll keep proving myself, you know, naive in different moments. I'll, I'll keep evolving. And I'm sure six months from now be like, Oh God, I would never say it answered the question that way. Or now I know X, Y, and Z about polyamory or any other thing, but I guess it just sort of feels liberating to be as honest as possible about wherever I'm at in, in my journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say it's really refreshing. It is. Thank, to, as I say, yeah. thank you for being honest and open and writing the book and all of the work that you've done. I'm, we're excited to share, get it out there and um, hopefully people will go read the book. Well, yeah. And a lot of that, just to your point though, like a lot of that shame and guilt and all of that stuff like evaporates when you're like, yeah, this is me. What are you going to do about it? And you're like, I'm, still happy, healthy, and living an amazing life. And you know, all of my secrets. So like what you're going to, you're going to hold what over me? <laughs> totally. Like, nothing. It takes the power away. I love that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely, one of the things I say in the introduction is like, yes, I'm going to weather harassment or trolls for being a woman writing about these things, but also like I'm a white woman. I have all these economic privileges. I'm Thin, like all these other things that make it less likely for me to be harassed or punished. I have the privilege of having a job where this is actually my job rather than I could lose my job. I don't have children, so I can't lose my children. So one of the things that really motivated me to write this book was just realizing that non-monogamous people have like no civil protections. And even though I talked to many people who are very proud 
being non-monogamous, hardly anyone was willing to use their real, even first names because of the degree of stigma that exists, because of the lack of legal protections of um, if someone made the connection with their job as a teacher or, or working for the government or whatever else, um, that they would have no recourse. So I feel like part of what motivates me is like, I'm just like throwing a brick through, you know, this wall of shame and just being like, hopefully I survive it. And that helps other people have more permission to tell their narratives, which invariably are going to be very different and hopefully much more wide ranging and diverse. And, uh, but yeah, I felt like a certain responsibility of like, I'm so lucky to like have parents that won't disown me to have all these other privileges that it felt like part of the reason I should just go all in. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So thank you for doing it. And we're excited. Yeah. We're excited to get the, get the book out there, get the word out there and we hope it's a huge success. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, Well, of course, have a wonderful afternoon and we'll be in touch. You too. Thank you. And we're back. A huge thank you to Rachel for reaching out to us, coming on the show, and for the amazing work you're doing with your book and everything else as well. Um, We had a wonderful time talking and can't wait to get this out in the world. And get an update. Yeah. I love them updates. All the updates. (laughs) You know, we recently had an update request for guests from episode two. Really? Oh, yeah, we did. A third update. So, you know what? We need to reach out to them and make that happen. We do. I don't know why my brain went there. (laughs) All of a sudden, squirrel. Squirrel. So, (laughs) anyway, stay tuned for an update on episode two. I think they were also on episode 60. I I know that we came back. They came back. Anyway, side note. Okay. I'm saying I love the update episodes. (laughs) I know. This isn't even an update episode. Well, yeah, it's a preview to the update. Okay, sure. Anyway. She says with an eye roll. (laughs) I think they could hear your eyes roll. <laughs> Quick reminder to go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There you will find information on joining our Patreon community, on the upcoming virtual meet and greets, and the in person events that we have coming up this spring as well. So go check it out. You'll also find show notes where you'll find links to Rachel's book and a photo of Rachel, as well as all the other episodes that we have published, and contact us there too. And the last thing you'll find there, and I know you were just hoping that you would learn about this today. Yes. The best way to get tested for STIs. On our website. STDcheck.com. If you use the links there, you save $10. That makes a 10-panel test about $130. It's super fast. It's super easy. This is how Emma and I get tested. We get tested regularly, and we use this service. Uh, We've been using it for a few years. We love it. It saves us having the uncomfortable conversations with our doctor, even though we've had those and... Yeah, they were uncomfortable. So we didn't want to do it again. And this is cheaper, it's faster, it's easier. And then we get our results texted to us uh, in our online portal in like a day. Yes. It's awesome. So if you're going to be coming to our in-person events and you think you might be hooking up, better come test it. <laughs> well, That's what I always say. They're meet and greets, so you mean hooking up after? Right. Okay. After, not during. Oh, well, I mean, you can do it during. You, That's fine. You didn't make that clear. I'm just saying, like, you might meet somebody special. Right. And it's great to be prepared. Yes, that's true. Even with the virtual ones, you never know who you might meet. And you might you might talk to them on Wednesday slash tonight. Uh-huh. You might be on a plane by Friday. You never know. So People are spontaneous. You're going to want to get tested so you have that day to get the results back before you get on your plane Friday. Yes. That's my two cents and my <laughs> advice to anybody who's meeting anybody yes ever <laughs> ever 
<laughs> your eyes are just rolling around and going. around and around. <laughs> I just got to wait for you to get to your point, and then you keep making your point and keep making your point. <laughs> so go to our website and click on the resources tab or in any of the show notes, and you will see links to save $10 at stdcheck.com. It does support the show financially, and so we're great, greatly appreciative of that. I will stop talking. I don't want you to hurt your eyes, pull an eye muscle. <laughs> Next week, we do have an interview with Kate and Travis. So come back. It's a super fun conversation and we can't wait to get it out there. So come back and listen. Yeah, this is another laugh fest. We had a good time. We did. Friends from Australia. Yes. Love it. So (laughs) we're excited for this one and we will see you all in a week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.